When I was in fourth grade, I was in a play, and it was, uh, it, my, my fourth grade teacher was really obsessed with this show that aired for two years, this variety show, it aired for two years in the late 60s, called Banana Splits. Anybody heard of this? It's, no, I didn't think so. So um, it's for, for an, peep, adults in animal suits, and they like play instruments and do goofy things. So in this play, I was, uh, I was the lion, and his name was Drooper, and I, I had a blast doing it, and I think there's a picture somewhere of me in this full lion costume. And, but the teacher that I had, I think her name was Miss Seller. No, I think it was third grade. And she, she, did, she didn't do it like as a whole school play. She was just like, I just wanna do this play. And so we were doing it in the classroom. So there was no stage, no lights, no nothing. It was just kinda like they would bring in classes and we would just perform this right there in the classroom. And I loved it, and it was a lot of fun. Then in sixth grade, I was in this play at my elementary school. It was a K through six school. And I had to go on stage, and the whole school was going to watch. And there were the bright lights and the curtains and all that kind of stuff. And I was doing, it was like this Mickey Mouse variety, here, again with the variety shows. All the, all the teachers from that era, they the music teachers, they love the variety shows, you know? So they're like, how do I continue to love this variety show? I'll make the kids who have no reference for this act it out in front of us. So, um, and I had to do this Mickey Mouse variety show thing. And my, my, I had a solo and then there was like a choir. And for the solo, I was singing this song about being embarrassed to meet new people and how you get over being embarrassed to meet new people. And, um, we were supposed to wear a certain color of jeans and a, and a Mickey Mouse t-shirt. And I didn't ask my parents about it. I figured I had one somewhere and I didn't even ask them to get me that stuff. And so the day of, I didn't really have the right shirt. And I had, I remember these stonewashed jeans that I wore and, um, and my zipper broke before the performance that day. And so I went to the nurse's office and, uh, and had to take off my pants and the nurse like stitched my pants together before I went on stage in front of the school and talked about how to not be embarrassed meeting new people. And there was a really big difference between that third grade play and the sixth grade one. The third grade play, I was just in my classroom. Sixth grade, I was on stage in front of all these people. And if you've never been on a stage that's, that's heavily lit, what can't you do well? You can't see, everybody can see you well, but you can't see everybody else or anything really at all. And that was a new experience for me. And it got me thinking about what we're talking about over the next two weeks. And that is this idea that we all have blind spots and we all have bright spots. And so we all know what a blind spot is. It's, it's an area of yourself or your life that you just can't see it. No matter what you do, it's no matter which way you turn, it's always outside of your view, even if it's something that you're doing all the time or that you're engaged in. Like Becky tells me about my different tics when I'm preaching. She's like, hey, you've been licking your lips a lot uh, the past few Sundays. You should probably not do that as much. And I'm like, well, I'm really dehydrated from moving all of our stuff from the houses, so that's why I'm doing that. So now everybody's gonna be aware of that going on. Um, but... Uh, 
The, the other part, though, is something we're less familiar with. We're familiar with the blind spots, but what about the bright spots? The bright spots are those areas that when you're lit up, when you're doing something that God has made you to do, people can see it, but you can't maybe see anything about it. And we all have those areas too, those areas where we really shine, but it's the same thing as a blind spot in that somebody else has to point it out to us. You see, I didn't know. All I was thinking about was I'm about to go on stage and I got the wrong jeans on and my, my uh, zipper's broken and all these kinds of things. It was not even a thought in my mind that that music teacher picked me for that because he saw that there was something about who I was that he thought I would work well on a stage in front of the school. Didn't even cross my mind, but he was able to, to see that in me. And so these blind spots and bright spots, they're, uh, they're so helpful if we can engage in certain relationships that help to reveal both the blind spots and the bright spots. I've been laughing about this and smiling about this all week. Last week, Jenny Barrett had a prayer request about her girls' soccer team. She started coaching this girls' middle school soccer team, and they had their first game, and they got, they got destroyed. And, um, and Jenny was reflecting with them after the game, and, and she said, so how do you guys think you did? And they said, we did great. We were awesome. And Jenny's over there like, they scored on us in the first minute of the game. And if you don't know anything about soccer, that's bad, right? Like some soccer games have one point for the whole game, maybe. And then they scored like 10 more in that game on, on Jenny's team. And so Jenny's here thinking about these middle school girls and how do, I, how do I help them see the blind spot that they totally suck without crushing their morale and their spirits? And that's a great example of a certain type of relationship that can help us grow in a certain way. A soccer coach helps you get better at soccer and see how to dribble the ball better and how to do all the things in soccer that if I tried to start naming, you would know how much I knew about soccer. And uh, so the, the thing about what we're talking about this morning, blind spots and bright spots and next week, is that in the church context, we have this word called discipleship. And that word disciple and, dis and someone who disciples, the teacher, is a big part of how we can see our blind spots and our bright spots. And it's something that I think several of us at Christ City, we might have a bad taste in our mouth for the word discipleship and what that might mean. That maybe for you, it's meant something like just memorizing a bunch of scripture and theology and things like that and learning how to have pre-prescribed answers for all these things in life. And I, that's not what this is at all. And actually here at Christ City, and I would say probably in most places, a, a really good Good faith effort at discipleship is really needed. We all have peers today and we all have social media and we all can get on social media and call people out and shame people for this, that, and the other, whatever bandwagon we're on right now. And we can talk to our friends and kind of feel like, oh yeah, like, yeah, you're on the same page and you see me and you get me and my friends are honest with me so I don't need anything other than peers. But a peer 
is still a peer. I wouldn't want to go to a doctor. I wouldn't want to go to the Jonathan Robertson to be my doctor. He's a good friend, but he's not a doctor. So if I went to him and said, can you heal me? I have a heart issue. He might say, man, I, you know, I love you and I care about you and that kind of thing, but he's not gonna be able to fix my broken heart. Oh, that, that took a weird turn on accident. <laughs> Maybe you could, Jonathan, fix my broken heart. You're, yeah, yes, you would try. Just like a peer could try to help you see blind spots and bright spots and might not ever get hardly anywhere. But when you choose to go to a doctor, you have identified something's not right and I'm not able to reach my full potential in my humanity as far as my biology goes. So I'm going to a doctor for the purpose of figuring out something that I can't figure out myself. And when we talk about discipleship at Christ City, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about entering into a relationship for the purpose of learning things about yourself that you just can't see, no matter how hard you try. And so blind spots and bright spots, the ways you light up and the ways that you are acting in ways that you're not quite aware of, can't see, maybe you're harming and hurting yourself and others in some of those ways. So we're gonna look at this passage, but before we do that, I wanna give you a definition for a disciple to think about this in a very particular way. And I wanna talk about it for a moment. What is a disciple? Someone who willingly pursues a relationship that allows them to be changed by the person, presence, and teachings of Jesus the Christ. So when we use a sort of metaphorical or even mystical type of language to say, well, I'm being discipled by Jesus. What, what do you mean by that? This definition seeks to eliminate all of the fuzziness about all of those types of things, those popular sort of evangelical slogans and things that we're so familiar with, and say, what is actually going on if we take a model of discipleship that we see in the life of Jesus, and we say, what does that look like for us today in the year 2023? And here's the way it looks for us at Christ City right now that we are entering into. Our elders and leadership development cohort are entering into this as we speak this month. So discipleship, someone who willingly pursues a relationship. That relationship is somebody other than Jesus, all right? I know all y'all, none of you are like literally walking around with Jesus, okay? So you're pursuing a relationship in parentheses with someone other than Jesus that allows you to be changed by the person, presence, and teachings of Jesus the Christ. So what do I mean by those three things? Person, I mean the person of Jesus, how we understand Jesus looking at all of the gospels, all of the scriptures, Jesus, the entirety of how Jesus shows up. What is the entirety of what Jesus's life looks like more than some theological idea that somebody, you know, constructed mathematically about, you know, some doctrine here or there. But what does the person of Jesus reveal to us about God and about life? That's one way that we can, with another relationship, begin to experience transformation. Second way, the presence, 
So the person, the presence, and the teachings of Jesus, the presence. How do we experience the presence of Jesus today? How do you experience the presence of Jesus? I'm gonna give you a second to think, do you have an answer for that? So the presence of Jesus, what we're talking about here is how you see Jesus in somebody else, in yourself, through the working of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, okay? So the, the, uh, the person of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, and lastly, the teachings. What did Jesus actually teach? When we, when we look at the, the gospel messages, wrestling with what Jesus actually taught, because, you know, I mean, that's pretty important. So that's, that's the piece uh, of scripture more than more deliberately than any of those other things. So that's what we mean by discipleship. So if you are willing to enter into a relationship with someone who is also seeking those same things, to know Jesus, and that may have done so for longer than you, because there's no substitute for time. Not everybody who is old is wise, but nobody who is young is wise. Okay? There's no substitute for time. Uh, somebody who is also seeking to know Jesus in those ways, Jesus the Christ, and, but they have longer experience in doing that. Uh, they may have more experience in doing that. Maybe they've done things you haven't done. Um, and uh, they have and or they have different life experiences. They've lived a different type of life than you have, which means any other person but you, basically, that last one. So here's what we can do when we think about and talk about discipleship. And I'm not asking anybody to sign up for anything after this either. This is just a sermon on discipleship. Um, we can make excuses about why I couldn't be discipled by that person, or that person, or that person, because I'm smarter than them. I'm better looking than them. I have better style. You know, no, I'm just kidding about those last, I mean, I don't know, maybe some of you might say that, but we can make up reasons why. They're just not, they don't fit. They're not the right type for me. Um, they don't really have anything to teach me. As I've been thinking about this, I was reminded of this discipleship relationship that I had here at this church uh, eight, eight, nine years ago. And the relationship started because I had a passion to lead and use my gifts. And I was told by the leadership, well, then this guy who is younger than you, who doesn't have as much life experience as you, is going to disciple you in those ways. And I was like, that's stupid. I don't like that at all. I don't want to do that. But I did it. And I still benefit from what that time looked like for me. That even though this person was younger than me and had less life experience than me and was newer to faith, and there were things that I had done that I thought kind of were like, how can this guy is going to teach me about living the Christian life? Like I've done so many other things. He's basically just gone to school forever and now he's doing this, right? And yet I still learned a ton because guess what? He could see things about me that I couldn't see about myself. Blind spots and bright spots, both of those things. 
The tragedy is when people go through their whole life without doing this. They just, they just keep having the same blind spots forever. They keep thinking it's not the right person or I could get hurt or any number of excuses. And so they say stuck. They stop growing. Let me tell you what the Greek word for disciple is. Learner. That's what it translates to in English. Learner. I was going to, I was going to, you know, say the Greek pronunciation, but you guys know I'm no good at that, so. Learner. Do you want to be a learner in life? Do you ever want to get to the point? Yes, okay, somebody's talking to me. I'm not up here all by myself this morning. Do you want to be a learner? Yes. Okay, okay, we got four people that want to be a learner. We're on the right track. If we try it five more times, maybe we'll have half of y'all saying it, right? Let's do it five more. No, I'm just kidding. So here's, here's what I'm saying through all of this. An ordinary person can disciple you, can teach you things about yourself that you don't know. If you engage in a relationship that's meant to do that, it's never gonna happen just hanging out with your friends this way. Your friends can teach you some things about yourself, but it's, you know, there's limits. It's like going to physical therapy versus going to a doctor, okay? One's gonna have a little bit more information than the other, and don't try to analyze that too hard, Dr. Hansen and, and Mark Minyard, okay? Um, listen to this passage from Acts 4. Don't put it up yet, Vera. Um, these experts in religiosity and religion and the scriptures and all these things are being faced with Peter and John, two disciples of Jesus. And Peter and John uh, were walking into the temple for worship and there was a, a paralytic there and he was asking for money. And they said, uh, we don't have money, but in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And, and the guy got healed. And they're walking into the temple and everybody's fussing about it. And uh, everybody's fussing about it and, and they end up having to come before the, the religious leaders and kind of explain themselves. So here's Peter and John, they're standing there, and then right next to them is this guy who was healed by them. And this is what the narrator says about what this scene looks like in Acts 4, 13 and 14. And it's in the message translation, modern English. They couldn't take their eyes off them. Peter and John standing there so confident, so sure of themselves, their fascination deepened when they realized these two were laymen, meaning with no training in scripture or formal education. They recognized them as companions of Jesus, but the man right before them, seeing him standing there so upright, so healed, what could they say against that? Two ordinary people next to a healed person, two disciples of Jesus with no special training, no theological grandiosity to them, no incredible prefrontal cortex logic of deep scriptural analysis, but they healed a guy. This is the goal of discipleship, more whole healed people who have been with and seek to be with the person, presence, and teachings of Jesus. Amen, anybody? Amen? Amen. Okay. Let's look at a couple of this ver these verses and we'll pick it up next week and, and finish this passage next week. Back in Matthew, 
When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? So remember, he's here with his disciples. He's come to this specific place with his disciples. And the first thing he does there is he asks them a question. Why? Because Jesus is a good teacher, a good disciple. If the goal in discipleship, which it is, is a more mature, more self-aware person, blind spots and bright spots, who understands more about Christ and what it means to follow Christ, then you've got to ask a lot of questions. Questions are really important. So Jesus knows he has to draw out the deep understandings that the disciples already have. This is something that I've learned in my life over the past 10 years or so, is that within, first I learned it about me. This is what I learned first about me. Within me, there's a deep reservoir that I spent, and I think this is normal in, in, in 20s, you should do this in your 20s. I spent my 20s and some of my 30s going outward for adventure. And somewhere along in my 30s, I experienced some suffering and some crisis, and somebody helped me introduce, somebody helped introduce me to my interior world. And I found that there was a deep reservoir within me, a deep space within me that could be explored through my feelings, through my humanness and my neediness, and things that I never knew I could access in such a way. And Jesus knows that, so he's gonna ask a lot of questions of his disciples to draw those things out of them, those learners. So learning always starts with a question because somebody, if they started with the answer, it's because somebody else asked the question. So he asks them, who do people say I am? So he starts the easy way. The easiest thing for us to do with life's questions and problems is to first tell the answers that we've heard from everybody else, isn't it? Isn't that the easiest thing to do? Who says this? Who says this? Fox News says this or CNN says this or whoever you like to listen to and I'll regurgitate those answers and I'll feel some sense of safety that I know what the world is like. And so he asked, who do everybody else, who does everybody else say I am? And they replied in verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Not bad answers. Those are pretty good answers. There's lots of reasons why people might believe Jesus was the second coming of these other prophets and people. There was a lot of information around that time that pointed to those types of ideas. And here's the thing. The disciples already know Jesus is unlike anybody they've ever met before. But he's leading them to the answer that he knows they'll get to if he just keeps asking them questions. Isn't that interesting? That there are things in your life that you believe because somebody told it to you and all it would take is you, be will, you being willing to let somebody else into your life who has your well-being and growth at the forefront of their mind and purpose in those times to ask you the right questions and you'll realize what you really think and feel about 
your life, your world, and very, very importantly, God. That's why we're okay with a lot of questions here at Christ City. Jesus is too. So verse 15, then Jesus moves ahead. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? A good teacher, a good discipler helps to make sense of the voices spiraling around and gives opportunity for the learner to share what they really think and feel. Jesus isn't giving them the answer. He doesn't want them to memorize an answer or say, hey, believe this just because I said it. He wants them to know why they have the answer they have. So he's asking them the question. He, he's hoping that they can develop some spiritual intuition. You know what intuition is? It's when you know what to do without a big debate about it in your head, in your mind. You're not, you don't have all kinds of voices and things swirling around in your head. And then when you make that type of decision, it actually improves what's going on in your life and in your person. Some of you think you got intuition, but intuition means things actually improve in your relationships and other things in your life. And it takes a long time to develop intuition, spiritual intuition. So Jesus is teaching the disciples how to access that so that they know how to behave in a world swirling with other ideas, other voices, other opinions about what they should think and feel, what they should believe about who God is and what God is there to do in their lives and in their world. Intuition looks like not trusting people too easily, which I have been really guilty of in my life, guilty of which I have done in my life, where I gave someone trust they didn't deserve. But it also looks like being able and willing to trust someone when they have shown that they are trustworthy, right? That's intuition, knowing how to do that, knowing when to trust, knowing when not to trust. Because some people earn trust and some people don't. Imagine, imagine if Jesus... Uh, just told his disciples all the time. Now, remember, I'm the son of God. I want you guys to remember that. You can trust me because I'm the son of God, right? You can trust me. You trust me. Just trust me. Just believe me. What's happening right now? What are you feeling right now? Just hearing that. What if Jesus did that? That's pretty cringy, Jesus. I don't, I think I'm going to go stand over there, right? What you're telling me is I shouldn't trust you, right? If it was true, if it was real, you wouldn't have to keep repeating that over and over again. So Jesus instead asks the question, whom do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So the big mouth Peter trusts his intuition, names Jesus as he knows Jesus to be. Uh, have you ever called something out in someone that you knew them to be, or maybe someone's done this for you, that you knew them to be and you didn't have to think about it even for a second, that you were just able to say, 
You're, you, you bring this to the table. This is something bright and special and incredible about you. And it just flew, flew out of your mouth. That ever happened to you? You ever had somebody do that for you? He wasn't confused. Spiritual intuition brings clarity to yourself and your relationships. And it makes sense when you start pushing it out into the world. It makes sense. It, it clarifies relationships. It clarifies your purpose in life. He wasn't confused. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. That's, if that's not spiritual intuition, I don't know what is. That Peter was able to respond to a question. First, it was, who does everybody else th say that I am? What does everybody else think about this? They gave a lot of good answers. They knew the answer to that question. But then, who do you say that I am? They also knew what they believed. Peter also knew what he believed. He had an intuition that was developed through the discipling relationship that he was in. And so he was able to answer that question. He knew what was going on. He had clarity about it. And in that moment, Jesus was able to name something incredible about Peter. That Peter sh showed up to that discipling relationship and he learned something I guarantee he never would have learned anywhere else about who he was and who he would become. Do you want that? Do you want to know your potential as a human being? Then you have to get over the fact that yes, you will experience pain and it will hurt. And when somebody reveals a blind spot in your life, it is uncomfortable. But you will also be able to shine in who you are more than you ever could otherwise. And so if you want that, if you want the full potential of your life, then you cannot be satisfied with a peer relationship or a therapist relationship or a coach relationship. Discipleship is something you'll need. The uh, place that they're in, this edge of Caesarea Philippi was a place that had incredible authority to it. It was a place where there was this, this natural spring where this water comes out of this cave. It's still there today. The, the water runs a little bit differently now but it, from earthquakes and stuff, but it, this fresh spring cave came out and it was a place dedicated to this uh, pagan god named Pan. And it was a place where Herod the Great's family had created a resort and some like admin buildings and stuff like that. And this was at the height, this was at its height at Jesus's time. And there was, it was a giant rock cleft there. And so they're sitting here at this spot. And I don't, I don't know what, what, I, I don't, I don't know what Jesus's omnipotence or any of those things were, were like. You know, we get some clues about that in the Bible. Did he know exactly what was going on at every moment? I tend to think not, because then he'd be like a robot going through, like checking, like bored in every conversation. I already know how this is gonna go and all that. But anyway, they get to this coast, and I, I have to wonder, was this the first time that the disciples were asking Jesus or Jesus was asking them about his identity. I tend to think it wasn't. I tend to think that they got to this spot 
and here this conversation is happening and they're in the backdrop of this place and it's all about who's in charge, who runs this world, who's got the authority here. And all of a sudden, Peter strikes this amazing spiritual intuition. It hits him like lightning because of the relationship he has been in with Jesus and the other disciples. And he says this to Jesus and Jesus responds and says, you are a rock. And you're not just any rock. You are the rock in which a whole new framework, a whole new reality is being ushered in. This thing called the church, this mystical coming together of people beyond bloodlines, beyond ethnicities and racial groups and all other types of division that create a new way for people to be human. And you will be a rock. You will be a cornerstone of this at that spot, at that time. When we are willing to pursue relationships that are mutually about growing, but we pursue a relationship where um, that person is guiding us into learning more about ourselves through the person and the presence and the teachings of Jesus, you open yourself up to moments like these about yourself. Self-revelations, new names, the casting off of old ideas that are too small to fit your brilliant, shining soul now and where you are in life. We'll pick this back up next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning and all these people gathered here and those who are not here who are part of Christ City. I pray that um, through these words and the sacraments and song we're about to engage in that you would encourage us, strengthen us, comfort us. Amen.